There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. Well, I spent four decades working in this game of hockey, fortunate enough to meet some of the great legends of the game, saw them come into the league, shining the game, and now they've moved on to life after hockey. This podcast gives us a chance to relive some great memories and hear some amazing stories and take a look back with some of the all-time greats. Our guest today, Stanley Cup champion with the Montreal Canadiens in 1993, a five-time NHL All-Star, the first U.S.-born player ever to have three consecutive 50-goal seasons, silver medal at the Olympics, gold at the World Cup of Hockey, some great stories there, and a key member of the Legion of Doom, one of the great hockey lines of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, he is John LeClaire. John, welcome to the show, my friend. Great to catch up with you again. Good seeing you again, Regino. How you been? Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, Fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just eleven sixty nine, order a large, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2.00. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats, 24-7. The last time I think I bumped into you was at Eric's induction, uh, Eric Lindros's induction of the Hockey Hall of Fame. And I remember sitting right behind the bench and I saw the the name panels of uh, Lindros, LeClaire, Renberg sitting beside each other on the bench and I took a picture of it and I sent it out and it went viral on Twitter because the Legion of Doom, one of the great hockey lines of all time, reconnected for that Legends game. I'm sure you probably get an opportunity to to do it with guys, but what was it like to get back together as a line, as a unit in a game like that? You know, um, thank God Eric had a great career that we can coattail, Ronnie and I can coattail on those things. Um, it was awesome getting together with those guys at the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, I, I see Eric uh, here and there quite a bit, you know, throughout the years. Um, but uh, as far as seeing Michael to get all three of us back together, it was a lot of fun. Um, I still got great memories of that weekend. Um, it's funny. You're the one that took that picture because I did see that picture all over the place. You know, the three of us on the, the three backs of ours. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it was pretty cool myself, too. So uh, appreciate that. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's always a good time. It's always a great uh, just uh, like you never left when uh, you get back together with those two guys. Now, I don't know how much how much this hits home to you personally. Obviously, you want to stand the cup with the Montreal Canadiens. Matter of fact, for those viewers who are watching on video, they can see all the great stuff that's hanging behind you on the wall, I all the great that. memorabilia. Yeah, including me and Eddie Glass and, and Joe yeah. with the cup. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. But the, the last cup, the cup you won, the 1993 cup you won, was in the, with the Montreal Canadiens. It's historic. It's 30 years ago. We're getting ready to celebrate the 30-year anniversary of that. Uh, it's pretty amazing. On the one hand, it's like, wow, 30 years. I can't believe it's been that fast. The other hand is that's the last time a Canadian team won the Stanley Cup. Does that ever sink in your head and you think I was a part of Canadian hockey history, even though you're an American? 
Um, it does a little bit. Um, I never really heard that stat or realized like how long of a drought it really has been until I think like last year's playoffs or a couple years ago. And I'm like, you know what? Being American, I'm okay with that. I don't mind being the last team to win a Stanley Cup in Canada. I really don't. So, uh, you know, I'm pulling for these American teams a little bit. Um, but it is surprising. Uh, you know, obviously there's been some great, you know, Canadian based teams and, um, just, it's a surprising fact to me. You are part of a great Montreal Canadiens organization and, and really it came, I'll get to the cup in a moment because there's some great stories in the Stanley cup, but it was, it was interesting, humble beginning for you because if I got this right, when you were actually playing, you didn't play major junior, uh, you ended up in the college ranks, but before that you were trying to get onto your hockey team at your high school and you actually, it's the Michael Jordan story. Couldn't make his high school team as a freshman. Was there a time where you thought, man, maybe I picked the wrong sport here? Or did you think, okay, this is pissing me off. Now I'm going to bounce back and show these guys what they missed out on me. It, it definitely gave me some drive. There's no question about that. Um, but uh, as far as quitting the sport, I loved it too much. That was not an option for me. But um, it, it was one of those things. I mean, yeah, I did get cut as a freshman for my high school team. Um, I knew the coach. I, the coach actually went on to coach in the NHL and uh, do a lot of great things. Red Gendron, uh, recently yeah. passed in the last couple of years. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have him as a high school coach. Um, and he took great pride in cutting me, by the way. Um, <laughs> but it was the right thing for me. I, you know, I was a little young at the time. And um, I think it did make me better. It, uh, it actually, uh, you know, did, it gave me that motivation. Um, but I, I didn't hold a grudge where I'm looking if I ever get into the Hall of Fame that I'm going to call them out on it or anything <laughs> like that. I'm not holding that kind of grudge or any uh, hatred inside like that. Fair enough. So um, will you reminisce with me? Will you look back at the 30 years ago with that Stanley Cup run? Uh, Patrick Waugh was your goaltender at that point. You had some unbelievable talent on your team. Um, you guys knocked off the Nordique, the Sabres, the Islanders, then you made it to the Cup Final. And it's interesting because it could have really turned whenever, whenever I have a guest on the podcast like this, I think there, there are little small things that may have changed fate that may have changed history entirely. You guys in the opening round of the Stanley cup playoffs, you're facing the Nordique and you're down two games to nothing to Quebec. And we always talk about, don't ever give the team bulletin board material. Do you remember what was said about Patrick Waugh that essentially Turn the fate of the Montreal Canadiens organization in that Stanley Cup run. Do you? I, I hate to put you on the spot, but do you remember what was said? Yeah, I, I I remember the gist of it, but I can't remember the exact quote or something. But it was, I mean, you know, the last guy you need to get fired up is Patty. I mean, so you know, uh, that's kind of one of those things. The exact quote, Johnny, was. Uh, it was the it was the goaltending coach of the Nordique, and they said, "You're beating Patrick Roy when no one else can. What are you doing?" And he said, "We've solved him. We figured him out." Right. And to the, I remember to the fact that Patty's not like as good as the like yeah. the rest of them, and it was just like you know, like I said, he doesn't need any motivation. The guy is really charged and very focused. Um, but yeah, he stepped it up a notch and. You know, you talk about, uh, you know, little things that make a difference as far as playoff runs. And uh, that overtime win in uh, game three in Quebec, uh, that was a big, that was a big deal. 
It was amazing because after that, you never lost again. You were down 2 nothing to the North. Sorry, you didn't lose again until you got to the Cup Final. Right. Then at that point, you won four straight against the Nords. You came and then you swept the next series against the Sabres. And you got off to a great start with three straight wins against the Islanders. You won 11 straight playoff games after they gave you that bulletin board material. What was it like? We'll get to the Cup Final in a minute. But what was it like to be a part of a streak like that where – Whatever happened, if you went behind or whatever, you weren't going to lose the game. That you guys had decided, that's it, we're not going to lose. Yeah, it just, a lot had to do with the confidence in Patty. Uh, you know, with Patrick back there, it just, um, it, it definitely gives you a lot of confidence as a team going in there that, you know, we don't have to worry about a soft one and uh, he's going to get most of the rest of them too. Um, and I think, you know, it, it got goofy. I think out of those 11 straight, maybe what, nine or eight, ten of those were in overtime in a row. Yeah. Um, and you were a big so, part of the OT winners. We'll get uh, to that. Yeah, I got a, you know, I was fortunate enough to get a couple too. But, but like I said, you know, it was just, it was somebody different every night too with our overtime winners. Uh, it was a different line that, you know, seemed to contribute a little more than the rest. Um, it truly was, you know, other than Patrick from the rest of us, it was, it was an absolute team effort going through the, the, the gauntlet there. We're in conversation with John LeClaire, Stanley Cup champion of the Montreal Canadiens back in 1993. This is the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. So so now you get through the first three rounds. It's all turned around after they take a shot at Patrick Waugh, and he's on his game. And now you got Wayne Gretzky in the Stanley Cup final, a guy who had had a lot, a little bit of success in the past in the Stanley Cup finals. What was that like going to the series when you're facing the greatest of all time? You know, it's it's every it's on everybody's mind. I mean, obviously, and um, you know, he just came off a terrific series too against Toronto. I mean, with the pressure and you know being Toronto and and what he did in Game Seven, where he turned it up a notch, and, and would he get three in Game Seven or something like that? Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. Yeah. So like you know, he had his own story that he was writing too on his side of things. Um, yeah, I and mean, when they laid up, they won the first game, and when they were you know beating us in Game Two, um, you know, there's. It didn't look good for us. Um, but I, I still tell a lot of people to this day, you know, even if we do lose game two, I, we felt good. We like there was a there was a lot of confidence in that room. You know, anything can happen. I wouldn't I'm not gonna go and say we would have absolutely still won, but um I still think we felt pretty good about ourselves. No, no reason I want to beat them to nothing. No. But, uh, <laughs> And that you you mentioned you mentioned briefly John a second ago about the overtime the the crazy streak of overtimes and you were a big part of it because game three you scored the OT winner game four you scored the OT winner again uh, NHL record tenth straight playoff overtime win I remember because I was in broadcasting at the point in the midst of my career and I remember thinking this is insane nobody goes into this many like you'd think at best you'd have a you know, 500 records, the most likely in overtime because anything can happen. The puck could bounce anyway. Uh, okay, so you're a superior team. Maybe you'll win six out of 10 or seven out of 10. But the fact that you guys won 10 straight overtime games, in the, at some point did you just say, okay, clearly this is fate. We're, we're going to make this happen. Like, what did you feel? You had back-to-back -back OT winners in games three and four. Yeah, I mean, I felt fortunate. It kind of just felt like, you know, it was your turn that night kind of thing because we had, like I said, so many different guys coming up with overtime winners and just doing it every night. Um, but it did become almost comical, really. You know, you kind of like laughing to yourself, like, are we ever going to lose an overtime? This is because, I mean, we can, 
we can realize the insanity of it. Like, yeah. you know, the odds are you're not going to keep winning overtime goal, you know, games like that. Um, but we didn't play any different. We played with the same confidence we played with during the game. Um, I don't think anybody got nervous. And honestly, the, the more the streak went along, I think the more confident and the more calm guys were and the more comfortable we were. Um, and I do like getting back to Patrick, a lot stems from the goalie out and uh, knowing you got that backstop back there and how confident we felt in him. Um, we kind of felt like we could do anything. That's fair enough. And I'll grant that to you. Patty, while obviously one of the greatest goaltenders in NHL history, no doubt about that up there with Marty Brodeur and one of the legends of the game. But in the clinching game, in game five, you you guys did not give up a single shot on net to Wayne Gretzky. That's insane. One of the greatest players of all time. And you talked about what he did in game seven against the Leafs to make it to the cup final, that there were times where he would just decide, guys, I'm taking over. You guys didn't allow that. What was going on in the room to, to, to stop something like that from happening? I mean, we had a great mix of, of, of veterans and some young guys kind of making their way. Um, but we had a Hall of Famer ourselves, uh, Guy Carboneau. That was, uh, yeah. you know, with game five being at home, uh, Carbo was on the ice every time Gretz was on the ice. And, uh, you know, you put a guy like that, as smart as Carbo is, and all the experience he's got behind him, um, you know, I like our chances. Who is the best player you ever played with in the Montreal Canadiens organization? We'll get to Lindros and others later, but yeah, um, the best have that you played with player, um, or it could be a goalie. It could be Patty if you choose. Yeah, I mean, obviously Patrick for what he did. There's not much better, uh, really isn't. But as far as like a forward and like line mates and stuff like that, you know, I played with some really talented players. Like you know, Kirk Muller is a very talented player, yeah. great centerman, easy to read off, easy to play with. Uh, I enjoyed playing with Brian Bellows too, great goal scorer. You, he could shoot a puck from anywhere. He just had to put it within his sixth ring, um, and he could get it off. Uh, Vinny Danfus had a lot of talent. I don't think guys really realize, uh, you know, how skilled Vinny was. Um, and even guys like Mike Keene, you know, like how valuable those guys were. I mean, his penalty killing, his toughness and leadership, like all that stuff just, you know, it adds up. And I think that's why 93 was, was a special year for everybody. You were just a kid. You were only drafted right out of high school in 87. Yeah. And now in 1993, you're you're skating around the ice with the Stanley Cup. What's that moment like for you? It, it's incredible. I mean, um, you know, it, you you find out, you know, guys say, you know, it, it doesn't keep coming back year after year. You got to take it in and really enjoy it. Um, and you, you do. Um, I wish I was a little bit more mature and a little bit older to realize, you know, how big of a moment it was. Um but looking back now and still, you know, kind of recapturing some of those feelings, uh, it's just, it, it's incredible. And, um, you know, I know everybody says you win it here, you win it there. It's the greatest place in the world to win it. But having a chance to win it in the old Montreal Forum, to me, uh, it meant a lot too. What do you think of what's going on now? Because it's changed. I mean, back then in the days, it was a lot easier to make deals and you were involved in a pretty significant deal, which changed the Flyers organization. We'll talk about that in a second. But when you look at what's happening now, now that we're into the hard cap era, and it makes things dramatically different in, try, in terms of trying to build an organization. And we see what organizations like the Vancouver Canucks are going through right now and the turmoil that they're facing, and they can't get it back. Uh, it's not easy to turn something around right now. How closely do you watch what's going on in the league right now? And, and what are your impressions of it now compared to I guess the golden years when you were involved in it. Yeah. Um, I watch quite a bit now. It, 
I find it very entertaining. I think the sport's at a great spot. Um, you know, I think the NHL, the league itself, has done a great job of promoting the sport, um, you know, taking a lot of the stuff out of it to make it speed, um, viewer-friendly. Uh, the excitement level and the skill on these guys, uh, I just – I really love watching the game. There's some incredibly talented guys out there. It's just – you know, I, I kind of picture myself out there, and I'd be going the wrong way the whole time. Uh, it's it's a, it's a great sport. It's a lot of fun to watch. Um, I think it's in a good spot. Um, you know, you talk about the importance of, uh, you know, trades and building that kind of stuff. I think, you know, with the salary cap today and the way kind of things are going, it, it puts so much importance on your first-round pick. If you miss on a first round pick, it puts you way behind because you have to build, like you can't make those blockbuster trades, you know, where Philadelphia or New York, they don't care about what their salary is going to be. We yeah. want to get this guy at the deadline. We'll add, you know, we'll add the salary kind of thing. Um, you can't go buy talent anymore. You got to, you got to, you know, find it and you got to produce it yourself. I think a lot more. Have you heard all the tanking that people are talking about in Chicago and in Vancouver and Arizona, where they're saying Connor Bedard, generational player. What? How much have you seen this Bedard kid play, and what do you think? Yeah, I've seen a little bit, and um, you know, it's not bad to be compared to Connor McDavid. He hasn't even played a game yet in the NHL, <laughs> so um, you know, the kid's got something. There's no question about it. Um, to me, watching Connor play compared to him, um, you know, there's still a lot of room for him to get better and stuff. But I just. Yeah. I find McDavid on a different level than everybody. Yeah, he certainly is. Uh, you're involved in promoting the game and, and kind of trying to increase the interest. You talk about the good job the NHL is doing about trying to promote in uh, in markets right across the U.S. You're involved on, on Three Ice, which is essentially like the, everything that's great about three-on-three three overtime, but for an entire game. <laughs> Exactly. And you played it in, in the in the markets like Vegas and uh, in Nashville, in Quebec City. You're back touring that. Tell me a little bit about your involvement in that and what that's doing in terms of increasing the exposure of hockey at at a, at a level where people can afford it. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the three and three overtime, everybody likes the excitement, the chances, the back and forth, and uh, you know that's what we kind of wanted to grab that excitement. Uh, get these guys out there, let them show their skill, a lot more ice, a lot more speed. And we had a really good first year. Um, you know, everything was positive. The people that uh, that got a chance to view it really enjoyed it. Um, you know, we were, we had three major contracts. We were able to get uh, viewership in Europe, Canada, and the United States. Um, we, we ran our game Saturday afternoons at four o'clock, which isn't the greatest time in the summertime. So I think, uh, you know, this year we're going to do a Wednesday night. I think that's going to help a lot with the viewership. Um, and instead of six teams, we're going to add eight teams to uh, to the pool. So uh, it's going to be a little bit more playing different teams instead of playing the same team all the time. I think that's going to help. Uh, we're going to add two more coaches. I know Ray Bork's going to be one of the coaches that's going to jump on board. Oh, that's awesome. Because you've already got Trottier and Larry Murphy and Joe Murphy. You've got some big-name talent behind the bench. We do. You know, you, like you said, you mentioned Grant Fuhrer, uh, Larry Murphy, um, Key Carbonell, Joey Mullen. Um, so we, we got some some talent there. And I, just the buzz from the hockey guys is like, I didn't know about this. So I think you're going to find, um, you know, there's going to be another group of talent that comes in this summer too. Uh, and we're hoping that's going to even up the level that we had. But even the level we had last year, I was very impressed with them. You know, like I said, the things that these kids can do with the sticks and the, the lacrosse goals and, um, and just how they can shoot a puck now. Um, it's just... Uh, it's impressive and it's fun to watch. And 
I mean, if you get a chance to see three ice either on, I think it's on TSN four or one of yeah, those, we get it. Yeah. um, or, uh, if we're up in London or, you know, back in Quebec city again, uh, stop and it's worth the time. It is. It's going to be worth your two hours. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the seven now delivery app and seven 11 will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door. Almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev, you know, the crave I'm talking about the one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just eleven sixty nine, order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7. We're in conversation with Stanley Cup champion John LeClaire, uh, USA Hockey Hall of Famer, uh, John LeClaire. Okay, so... For anybody who's watched TSN over the years, you always know we have the TSN turning point where all of a sudden everything turns on a dime. My opinion, your TSN turning point for you personally happened back on February 9th, 1995. You're dealt in a mega deal from the Habs to the Flyers uh, and a deal that involved Mark Recchi and going the other way, Eric Desjardins, Gilbert Dion, yourself. So this was no small deal. You've just won a couple of years previously a Stanley Cup with the Montreal Canadiens, and now you're on. You find out you're on your way to the Philadelphia Flyers. How did you hear about that, and what was that like for you personally? Well, I was fairly young, I guess, at the time. It felt like you know I was I was in the league for a few years. I was old enough to know what was going on, but uh, it was my first trade. And I think I won a cup in Montreal. I grew up an hour away from Montreal. Yeah. You know, it, it was kind of like leaving home a little bit. Um, yeah. And uh, nobody wants to get traded. I, I don't think, I mean, I'm, there's guys out there. I didn't personally want to get traded. I wasn't asking for a trade or anything like that. Yeah. So it was, it, it took a minute to kind of register. Um, but uh, yeah, we uh, we played a game in Ottawa. We flew back the other day off and I got a call at nine in the morning from uh, Jacques Demers and he wanted me to come in and, and have a talk. And there was all kinds of rumors going around. We all knew like yeah. there was deals, you know, back in the day when you could hear like there was rumors. Yeah. Um, so I just asked him, you know, Jacques, what is it? It's nine in the morning. Like you need me to come in. And he's just like, you've been traded. Serge will call you and Bobby Clark will call you. So um, like I said, it took a couple minutes to like, all right, I'm going to Philadelphia. I got to pack everything up within an hour and get on a plane and get out of here. Um, you know, it's, uh, it was a little tough, but once I got to Philly, um, you know, it took about 10 minutes and you, you're playing hockey and hockey's the equalizer for everything. You get on the ice and just guys are guys and um, maybe feel real at home. And it, it worked out pretty well. It's interesting because when that deal happened, the crap hit the fan in Philly. People loved Recky, And all of a sudden they're like, what's going on? And yeah. if, if you've ever been to Philadelphia, you know what it's like for the all talk radio shows and no one's afraid to give their opinion. They throw snowballs at Santa Claus. <laughs> so these yeah. are real fans. So you come in. Ultimately, it turned out great for you. And we'll yeah. talk about that. But initially, were you like, holy crap, guys, don't blame me. I didn't make this trade. Like, like it, it was not pretty for the first little while after that trade in terms of what was being said publicly. Yeah, I think the initial reaction was, you know, you gave up a 100-point guy for but I mean, you know, to me, I always looked at that trade as Philly needed a defense. They needed Eric Desjardins more than yep. they needed anything else. And to get something, you got to give up something. I mean, that deal, the deal really was Recky for Desjardins. 
And, you know, Rex being a 100-point guy, they had to throw something a little extra in. Probably that's where Gilbert and I came in. I mean, I was a, I was pushing 20-goal scorer at the time two years in a row. So, um, you know, didn't quite get up to Rex's numbers. Um, but, you know, when you look back at everything that, you know, me playing on Legion of Doom and Bertie playing a, a big role in the third line when he came, um, Eric Dujarian was the one that really brought the, that turned Philly, I thought, turned the Flyers around. Like, that's, he was the piece that that team needed more than anything. I love your humility. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, though, like when you're in the locker room with the guys and stuff like that, it, it really you needed that you needed that guy on D back there that was going to calm things down, get that first breakout pass, and, and run your power play. And they didn't have that at the time. I'm not disputing that. That's all true. And you're a good guy, John. I've known you for a long time. But you're downplaying your role on well, what no, happened. Well, no, no. I mean, I, I, I get it, too. Our yeah. line took off, and our line, you know. Took we off. Dominated, we dominated games. John, you went from that. a guy, to your point, you were pushing yeah. to get 20 goals. All of a sudden, you became a regular 50-goal scorer. Yeah. What was it like for you when you found out you were, like, almost immediately put on a line with Eric Lindros, one of the great, the guy who really changed the game in terms of the power four position, and Michael Renberg, you guys became the, the Legion of Doom. What was it like when you first found out that was going to be your line? When you started playing with them, you started to feel the chemistry, and then you're like, "Holy crap, we can have something really special here." What was that like? It was a great feeling. Um, you know, when I got traded, we played we played the night that I got traded. We played Florida at home. I think we got beat four nothing. It was uneventful whatsoever. And you get back and everything that went on, and then I'm thinking like, I, I have a chance to play with one of the best players in the league. Um, I don't want to screw this up. You know, you want to, you want to keep your spot when you're up on those lines. Yeah. And um, so I was just like, you know, I, I hope it clicks. And we played an afternoon game on, uh, I think I could trade on Wednesday, but Saturday afternoon we had a Wednesday game in Jersey, a Saturday afternoon game in Jersey. And um, the three of us, it just kind of clicked. You could tell, like, each time we went out, it got better and better and better. And um, it was just one of those things that kept building, and it just never stopped. It really, um, you know, part of that was, I think Michael and, and Eric and myself, we practice hard. And yeah. I think that helped that chemistry click a lot quicker. And, um, you know, with success, it's easier to build con confidence in your chemistry. And uh, just, like I said, it just didn't seem to stop. Um, and I thought, honestly, I thought we had enough that year to even win a cup. Renberg was awesome. But um, what Eric did to the game with his size, with his hands, with his ability, his skating ability, what was it like to play on a line? Like for people, maybe our younger audience who who never got a chance to see Eric at his prime with a career that ended way too soon because of the concussion issues that he had. Uh, and he and I have done a lot of concussion projects together since then. And like what he does for concussion research financially has been amazing. He's a, he's an amazing guy. And uh, I've been really fortunate to have a relationship with him over the years with what he's done. But from a hockey standpoint, how quickly did you get a sense of the magnitude of this mountain of a man and how he could dominate on a nice service? It's just, it was kind of like you shook your head sometimes. Um, and then you start taking it for granted. You know, Eric's got two guys on him and you'll still be there. Like you're not going to go <laughs> help for the him because you don't need to help him because he's going to get you the puck, even with the two guys. And we're not talking yeah. little guys back then. Everybody was like six, two and, you know, defensemen were, were good size. And it didn't matter. And guys didn't mind taking a shot at your head. No, they take a shot at your head. You could hold. You could. I mean, yeah. you could literally grab their stick sometimes. I yeah. mean, it was a little harder. But like I said, he was just—he was that dominant that you know it was like 
he's and he still did. He still got you the puck. Um, you know, it was it was crazy. I, my first time playing against him, I'm, he was on the Canadian Olympic team. And I remember the guys like, keep your head up on the guy. <laughs> I mean, I had him lined up and I went, put my shoulder down. And I don't think he even saw me that until the last minute. And he just trucked, trucked me. I was just like, yeah. ran right over me. Uh, and I just knew right then, like, he's a different person. He was a different kind of hockey player. And you were a different kind of player when you played with him. Like you said, when, with the Habs in your first few years of the Habs, um, you were just under 20 goals each time. Now you have three straight 50 goal seasons, which is amazing. An historic run because you were the first U.S. born player to ever have three consecutive 50 goal seasons. And then five seasons of 40 plus. So it wasn't just a blip. For five years, you were one of the best goal scorers in the NHL. What was that run like for you personally? I mean, it's always fun scoring goals. I mean, there's not a better feeling. I mean, people talk about one thing you miss when you're done playing is that rush of scoring a goal in the NHL. And it's just, there's nothing like it for me. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it was just, it was like a drug. You just, you wanted more and more. And, um, you know, I felt fortunate that I, I had a chance to have that kind of success. Um, but it, it's just one of those things for me, I think, you know, looking back, it's, it's an easy thing is I don't think I really had the confidence in myself or my game to try things um, that I did when I got to play with Eric and do that kind of stuff. And I think I, yeah. I think I just, I had a lot more confidence. I try a lot more things. I believe in myself a little bit more um, and uh, it paid off. You didn't exclusively shine though. When you were uh, playing with Eric, you had a, a terrific international career for the United States. We're in conversation with uh, John LeClaire, a member of the U S Hockey Hall of Fame, uh, Stanley Cup champion. This is the Seven Level Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. The 1996 uh, World Cup, you you talked about playing internationally. Um, that was some pretty amazing talent. That was a pretty pretty great uh, group of of talent. What was it like going into that event? When I think going into it, a lot of talk about Russia, a lot of talk about Canada, but not a lot of talk really about Team USA. What was it like going into that event that was being played in North America? You know, that is neck and neck with winning the Stanley Cup, uh, the 96. So really? For me. Absolutely. Um, the team we had, um, just the, the group that Lou put together, uh, just kind of the mind frame that he put in everybody the month we had in uh, Providence before the tournament started. Uh, it just... The guys came close quick. We had a great group of guys. Um, we had a lot of fun together, and we had a lot of great players. And we really believed in ourselves from day one. And you had a great goalie. Ricky was unbelievable. Mike Richter. Um, you know, and, and Ron Wilson did a real good job of, of motivating the guys, um, believing them. I mean, because it was still, you know, nobody can touch Canada. It's, everybody's playing for second back then yeah. kind of stuff. And he wouldn't let us even put that thought in their mind. Like, you know, he really gave everybody that, uh, you know what, they got to come after us. And, and I think we proved it. I think, you know, we weren't going to let anybody push us around. And um, I don't think we were scared of Canada. And I think that's was a big You thing. had to be nervous at one point, though, because here Canada is doing a great job during the round robin in that part of the tournament. You guys are doing a great job. Now you're in a best of three final. And game one gets played in Philly. So you're thinking, we got to take game one at home because the next two are going to be played in Canada. And you lose game one. In overtime. So you're down one nothing in the best of three series. At that point, you're like, oh, man, like this is it. It's the end of the run. Or did you just piss you off and 
digging your heels. Piss you off and digging your heels. And everybody's saying it's going to be so much, you know, it's be nice to win at home, but it's going to be even better quiet <laughs> in that place up there in Canada. And, um, you know, it, no, the, it wasn't a cockiness, but it was, it was, there was a confidence that we were okay. We lost in overtime. It wasn't, we got beat six, nothing and we didn't belong with the guys. I mean, um, I mean, obviously the biggest margin, we came back in game two. I think we beat them five, two or you did. It wasn't even margin. close. You beat in Montreal In Montreal. It was a good margin. Yeah. And then the next night was the, you know, the decider, um, you know, and that was what happened. Moves. What explain to me what happened in that game? Because, okay. So you guys win game two. It's now tied. We're recapping the 1996 world cup. I, yeah, love, I, I love seeing it now through your eyes because I've seen it through the Canadian eyes. I've seen it through the broadcaster's eyes. Now you're going to the third period. You're in Montreal. Canada's up by a score of two to one. All I got to do is coast this baby out. And there's a three minute and 18 second span where the entire world changed and everybody in the hockey world, whether you were a Canadian, American, or wherever you're from, your jaw just dropped and went, I can't believe this is unfolding the way it is. Walk us through what happened for yeah. those who don't recall. It, it, it was, it was a flash. It really was. Tony got that goal and then Tony Monty. Went, yeah. Tony Monty scores and um, puts us up and then things just started snowballing. I mean, I think, was it Adam Foote scored to make it 2-1? It was yeah, just a dump in. It wasn't yeah. really – it was kind of a fluky goal. I don't think Ricky saw it that well. It was screened. Yeah. And um, like I said, we just – we believed in ourselves. Um, you know, and once we got that tying goal and, the, and got the go-ahead goal, uh, it was all – it was full steam ahead. Nobody wanted to sit back and try to hold on and do that. Guys went after it. And, uh, you know, that's what it amounted to. Four goals in a three minute and 18 second span after you guys were two, down two to one. And now you win the World Cup in Canada. You know, you know what a better way the- was that is I, I think Ronnie Wilson, it's not that we wanted it more than them, but Ronnie really got us jump that, you know. What did he say? What did he say to you guys that made that happen? Just got everybody hungry. Just in the in between the period stuff. I don't remember exactly what the words were, but just the way Ronnie motivated guys and stuff. And, that was that's going all the way back from the province training camp. Just believing in ourselves that this is what we're meant to be here for, and this is what we're meant to do. And like I said, nobody like nobody was intimidated. Uh, like that was way out the door. Um, it was just about going out, doing what you're supposed to do, and and that's kind of what we believed in. I loved it for you personally because you ended up with ten points in the seven games, and there was always a lot of talk about yeah, Leclerc's Leclerc. He plays with Lindros. You know, people are going to play with Lindros. So there had to be some times where you thought, guys, I can, I can actually still play this game. I can play this game. And there was no Lindros, obviously, on Team USA when yeah. you're doing that at the World Cup. You were accomplishing some incredible things. From a personal standpoint, that had to be really edifying for you. I mean, when the smoke all settles, of course, of course you want to be known for yourself. I mean, yeah. and let's not care. Eric's a huge part of the success I had, and I know that, and I'm not going to pretend that. But, um, you know, like I said, I felt I could hold my own, too, with some other things at that point in my career. And, um, you know, I played online with two very good players. Obviously, you're going to play with good players regardless in a, in yeah. a tournament like that. Um, but, yeah, to, you know, there was there was a ton of critics that, you know, he'd score 10 goals if he wasn't playing with Eric kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I just – it's kind of nice to have success outside of that to, to kind of put some of the critics to, to bed. Silver medal at Salt Lake in 02 at the Olympic games, what was that experience like for you? You know, now, now it's nice to say a medal in the Olympics, but it's, 
at the time, it took a while. Like we were coming yeah. up to 90. Well, 98 didn't go well for anybody. I mean, yeah. it was just kind of weird going to Nagano. Um, so we, we had the, the basically the core of that 96 team. And, um, you know, Herbie was our coach. We just, we had a good feeling about it. It felt like we were, we were on pace to do something special there. Um, we just had a bad final. We, um, you know, they, they beat us. They, they, they were a good team. I mean, we didn't lose to a bad team at all, but, um, I'd like to have that one over again. Yeah. You had a great international career, man. The, the World Cup in 96, the silver medal at the Olympics, twice at the World Junior. I think you had 16 points in 14 games in two years at the World Junior. Um, what did it mean to you as a kid who, who grew up playing hockey in the United States at an era where really you were, you were beginning to develop some credibility internationally, but you weren't where you're at the point now? Where the, there's no surprise that that somebody out of the United States ends up being a high pick in the draft today, but it wasn't the case back when you were drafted in in the '80s and stuff. You've seen a real transition. What did it mean to you to be one of those the kind of forerunners for the respect that USA hockey has has developed internationally over the last couple of decades? Uh, I mean, to me, it's a huge honor. When you talk, you hear some of these guys talk about. You know, I grew up watching the, the 96 World Cup team. You know, that was our miracle of ice team that we yeah. grew up watching. That kind and of people thing. made the comparison, Johnny. Like people said, what was bigger, Miracle on Close. Ice or 96 World Cup? <laughs> I don't know if it's quite there. I know, but people made that comparison just to say that it was big. But I, I get what they're trying to get after. I, yeah. I really do. And, um, you know, it, it, it feels great. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge guy that I love playing for my country. Um, I just, there was something special about it. I, I always considered it a huge honor. Um, so having a chance to play for my country at the top levels is like in the Olympics and the world cups. Um, it, it meant a lot. It really did. Um, but I think you talk to any hockey player and there's, there's just, there's a little bit of extra pride when they're, they're putting on the national sweater for them. Um, yeah. and it just, uh, I feel really fortunate and honored that I had a chance to play on some of the, the great U S hockey teams that I, I was involved in. In conversation with one of the best uh, American-born hockey players in the history of the league, Stanley Cup champion John LeClaire. This is the Seven Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. Um, very emotional night. Uh, shortly after Eric got inducted in the Hockey Hall of Fame, he goes back and they retire his jersey in Philly in 2018. And I got to say, the Flyers do an amazing job in terms of the, their tradition, watching what the Montreal Canadiens do, what the Philadelphia Flyers do. It's pretty amazing. So Lindros is there having his jersey retired, his number raised to the rafters, and you come to mind to him, which I thought that tells you a lot about who Eric is as a person, and it tells you a lot about what he thought about you. And this is his quote. This is Lindros, and I'm getting emotional about this. Uh, Johnny remains my good friend, and I'll be honest with you, I think he belongs in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I'm just saying. What was it like to you to hear those words and to have Eric at a position where it was his moment and yet he chose to turn the spotlight on you at that time? I mean, it, it meant a lot, obviously, uh, to have somebody that you respect that much to, to think that of you. Um, it means a lot. You know, it really did. Um, but that's also how Eric is, too. Um, you know, as much as people say, uh, Eric's not a me guy at all. I mean, that's kind no. of the last thing he is. I mean, you he, should see him now with his kids. I get to see him around his kids all the time. It's awesome. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 
<laughs> they're, they're a handful too, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they're good kids, though. They really are a lot of fun. Um, but that's that's just how it is. It is. It's a. Um, he, he's not a me first kind of guy, and that's. I don't think everybody understands that. Um, and he does like to spread the wealth a little bit and things like that. Um, but for him to say that, um, you know, it, it did. It meant a lot to me. When you kind of reflect back now. And I really do appreciate your openness and honesty through this last little while. When you reflect back on all that you've accomplished, uh, you're not involved in the game anymore right now. You are involved in a, in a foundation that awards grants to nonprofit organizations in the Vermont area to kids. What stands out in your mind when you kind of look back on the career that was uh, John LeClaire and the NHL and internationally for Team USA? So like my international stuff with USA, what I look across at? across the board, like when you look back board. and you share with people who maybe didn't get a chance to see what things stood out in your mind as as not necessarily the wins and losses, but the effect that it had on you, the way it touched your life. I mean, for me, as I got older and got a little bit more established in the league and stuff, and you know, just between the foundation uh, or hospital visits or like yeah. community work you do, um, just to see that kind of effect you can have on somebody, um, you know, it uh, it's kind of nice. It's, it, it makes you feel good. You go back and you're like, you know what, the that autograph that you handed that picture to that kid in the hospital or whatever, he was so happy at the time. Um, you know, it just uh, – it makes you feel good that uh, you're in a position that you can actually bring some joy to somebody like that. And, uh, it's a good feeling. Uh, you don't get to do it as much now as you get older because you're not obviously in that same spotlight and stuff. Um, and I miss that. I do miss that, that uh, part of just bringing a smile to somebody's face over the, the simplest thing. John, it's been a great ride. It was uh, It was phenomenal watching things unfold with you in Montreal and then certainly with Philadelphia with one of the greatest lines in the history of the game, playing alongside one of the great gentlemen of the game and, and Eric Lindros. Thank you for sharing all these stories. Can't tell you how much we appreciate you taking the time to share this. And I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad you're doing well and still enjoying things. Things are good. I'm glad to see you. It's been a while and hopefully I'll see you again soon. Stanley cup champion for the Montreal Canadiens, five-time NHL all-star silver medalist, John LeClaire. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot from the oven pizza and wings, pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread from the 7Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the Crave. Download the 7-Now Delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave Crushers to your door almost before you can say... Fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, 
groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24 7.